0: Welcome to the WebMD Health Discovered Podcast. I'm Dr. Neha Batak. As part of our series honoring Breast Cancer Awareness Month, we thought it would be a really important idea to focus on lifestyle medicine, especially when it comes to cancer survivorship, but also when it comes to cancer prevention. Already, more than 5% of the U.S. population is made up of cancer survivors. Over the next decade, That percentage is poised to increase significantly, with tens of millions more Americans joining the ranks of cancer survivors. What struck me in talking to a cancer survivor for this series is that even with the profound advancement of treatment options, there's still a point where that intensive management stops and people are deemed cancer survivors but then left to their own devices to manage their mental, physical, and spiritual health after such a life-altering diagnosis. I think this is where what feels like the low-tech, but incredibly powerful medicines in the form of lifestyle can come into play. And I can't think of anyone I'd like to explore this more with than with Dr. Amy Commander. Welcome, Dr. Commander.
1: Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm so excited to join you today.
0: So let me introduce everyone to you. So Dr. Comander specializes in the care of women with breast cancer. She is medical director of the Mass General Cancer Center in Waltham, where she also serves as director of breast oncology and cancer survivorship at the Mass General Cancer Center in Waltham and at Newton Wellesley Hospital. She's an instructor of medicine at Harvard Medical School and also someone I'd like to call a friend because over the past year, we've both served on the board of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. So before we dig into what is lifestyle medicine, what's cancer survivorship and all of our questions, I'd like to just start with. You, what brought you to oncology in general, and then specifically to lifestyle medicine within oncology? Such a great
1: question. And as I think back to those days when we were doing our medical school rotations, at that time, I actually thought I would focus on an area related to neuroscience since I had done significant research in that area. But I did happen to do a rotation in internal medicine and then later in oncology where I formed such close bonds with my patients during those experiences that I really decided I wanted to focus on internal medicine and then oncology. And at that time, there were so many exciting developments in the field of cancer treatment, which of course continue to this day. So that's how I ended up in this field in the first place. And then lifestyle medicine sort of happened. We learned so much from our patients as doctors. And you know, in the course of treating my patients, they would ask me great questions. Doctor, what should I be eating? How do I start an exercise regimen? I'm having problems with sleep and stress management. And I did find that I wasn't fully equipped with the tools to educate my patients about these topics. And fortunately, around that time, I did discover the field of lifestyle medicine.
0: That's amazing. I think that that's sort of similar to my experience with discovering lifestyle medicine, which is There are a lot of things that I wanted to talk about as a medical doctor in the office. And then there were a lot of questions that patients had, which is what they wanted to talk about. And that usually centered, just like you said, on what should I be eating? How can I get better sleep? How can I exercise along with all of these other things that you're asking me to do? So yeah, that really tracks for me as well. Just sort of digging into our conversation now about cancer survivorship, I think it's interesting that that's become an area of focus for you. How do we
1: define someone as a cancer survivor? So the definition of cancer survivor actually has been established by the National Cancer Institute. So I'm going to share that with you. And cancer survivorship focuses on the health and well-being of a person with cancer from the time of diagnosis until the end of life. And this definition includes the physical, mental, emotional, social, and financial effects of cancer that begin at diagnosis and continue throughout treatment and beyond. And I think it's also important to highlight that the NCI states that the survivorship experience also includes issues related to follow-up care, late effects of treatment, screening for cancer recurrence and other cancers, and an important focus on quality of life. Furthermore, family members, friends, and caregivers were all considered part of the survivorship experience.
0: So that is really interesting because this interview that we just did with a cancer survivor really has stuck with me since the conversation. And it really centered around everything that happens after. So we, I think a lot of us think of that moment that you were diagnosed, what was treatment like? And then you kind of think of the celebration that happens when you're done with that final dose of whatever that final treatment is, you're five years out, and it's just sort of this celebratory moment. But we don't necessarily think about the weight that you're continuing to carry afterwards, and you don't necessarily have this sort of treatment that you're following or these guidelines that you're following to feel like, okay, I'm doing something about this condition. So how does lifestyle then fit into that and offer opportunities to give people prescriptions beyond
1: just these sort of cancer-specific treatments? I love that you interviewed a cancer survivor to get that individual's perspective, because as we both alluded to earlier in this conversation, we learn so much from our patients about what are the key issues we should really be focusing on. I do want to highlight a really interesting publication, actually from 2005 by the Institute of Medicine. They had a report called Lost in Transition, really focused on the needs of cancer survivorship and those challenges, as you alluded to, of transitioning from that intensive initial cancer treatment period to that period of follow-up and all the uncertainty that our patients face, as you described with this individual you interviewed, and There's so much data now about the role of lifestyle medicine and steps our patients can take to improve their health, well-being, and in some cases, outcome from cancer. And that's why I think the field of lifestyle medicine is so important in the field of oncology to be integrated so we can teach our patients and help empower them with these tools that they can improve their lives, quality of
0: life, and outcome. Can you just dig in? So when we say lifestyle medicine, I think for a lot of people, there's confusion about, okay, what's lifestyle? Like, what are we talking about? And how are we prescribing lifestyle as medicine?
1: Great question. So a key component of survivorship care as outlined by organizations such as the American Cancer Society and American Society of Clinical Oncology, which is my organization. One of the key components is promotion of healthy behaviors. So that's a guideline. But how do we as oncologists or as a field promote healthy behaviors? And that's, I think, where this field of lifestyle medicine comes in. And so what does that mean for our listeners who may not be familiar? Obviously you and I are, but there's six key pillars of lifestyle medicine that are all so relevant for cancer survivorship and those living with cancer. And those relate to the importance of diet, sleep, stress management, physical activity, social connection, and avoidance of use of risky substances. And there's increasing data in each of these areas about the importance of addressing these issues for individuals, actually those who are at risk for cancer and those who are being followed after a cancer diagnosis. And I think there's really an opportunity to educate our patients about these pillars, not only for the relevance as cancer survivors, but also to help reduce the risk for development of other chronic diseases, such as cardiovascular disease, stroke and other ailments that plague us in the United States and around the world so you know lifestyle medicine as a field is really relevant to cancer survivors and of course the general population for all of these reasons. So let's
0: talk through the diet piece so they come in and there's a lot of confusion I feel like just around that piece should I eat fruit because it's not cooked should I eat it with the skin on the skin off Vegetables? Should everything I eat be cooked? How do you talk through that? What are some of the specific instructions you give to people?
1: So important. And I will state that we don't get a lot of education about nutrition counseling in med school, internship, residency, and fellowship. But I do talk to my patients about nutrition at every visit and inquire about their diet. And of course, I provide counseling about the important role of a plant predominant diet. That's what I focus on. And I often refer them to recommendations from the American Institute of Cancer Research, AICR, which has an excellent evidence-based website. We know there's so much misinformation out there about this topic on the internet, so we really have to be careful. But that's where I steer my patients. And I feel like those emerging data really demonstrate the benefit of a plant-forward diet, certainly in terms of gut microbiome and helping our patients maintain a healthy weight and so many other factors. And so that's really what I would start with. But then I'm fortunate to work with oncology-registered dietitians who can also see my patients and take a deeper dive into that topic. That's great. That always
0: struck with me because it makes sense to be concerned about it. You're concerned about your gut. You're concerned about what chemo or whatever treatment regimen you've had is doing to your immune system. Should you wash? How do you wash? So I think it's great to have that kind of resource that you can refer people to. And then in terms of exercise, it's one of those things where it's something that's so healthy for you and so good for you, it's probably so hard to get into the mindset to do because you're feeling fatigued or possibly not in a condition to exert yourself. So how do you talk to people about physical activity and
1: getting them set up for success? So this is one of my favorite topics since I am a runner and passionate about this. And I will say that the American Society of Clinical Oncology has strongly recommended exercise as a key component of oncology care and guidelines that were released last year focused on the role of diet and physical activity for cancer patients going through treatment. And so when we talk about physical activity, this is a daunting topic for many individuals, but we certainly encourage our patients to resume normal daily activities as soon as they possibly can, and then work with them to get to the goal of 150 minutes of moderate aerobic exercise per week, as well as doing some type of strength training two times a week. And I recognize to some listeners that sounds very overwhelming and daunting. Of course, we meet each patient where they are and work with them to help them get there and share resources. But exercise is actually a key component of care. And there's now a whole field called exercise oncology focused on the interesting research in this area about why exercise is so beneficial for our cancer patients. Yeah, and I think that that
0: same thing can apply to any of us, right? Whether we're thinking about cancer prevention or cancer management or cancer survivorship, is that you kind of have to start wherever you are. So if you're not doing much, regardless of your reason for not doing much, for me, I I don't have much of an excuse, but I really find it hard to fit it into my day. But so wherever that is without judgment, Knowing that there's a goal, there's sort of a guideline that you need to get to for the maximal benefit, but you really can take it at your own pace and do it in your own way. And I'm really, really fascinated by the role that social connection plays. And I'm really excited to talk about your program, Paving the Path to Wellness. And it feels like you've really incorporated the social connection piece into this. Can you talk a little bit about that and your program? I'm
1: happy to. And I'm glad you asked about social connection because when I first started this paving the path to wellness program for breast cancer survivors and thrivers, they like to call themselves that. I will note that this has been a wonderful collaboration with Dr. Beth Bridges and Dr. Michelle Tollefson. When I started this program at the Mass General Cancer Center, I really was trying to address some of the needs we discussed earlier in our conversation how patients would finish treatment and say, what next? Like, what am I supposed to eat? How do I sleep? How do I exercise? And so the program is really a 12-week lifestyle medicine-based education program in a supportive setting where we focus on each of these topics, paving as a mnemonic. So physical activity, attitude, nutrition, goal setting, stress management, et cetera. And I was so excited to provide this evidence-based information to my patients as it relates to breast cancer. And at the end of the 12 weeks of my first program, the women were all like, Dr. Commander, we're not done at 12 weeks. Those ladies had bonded like this. They loved each other. They continued to meet in our hospital conference room. And then of course, spring of 2020 happened, but they pivoted like everyone else and started meeting on Zoom. And then I realized, again, we learn from our patients. I think that's an important theme of this episode. The social connection piece was maybe the most important component of this program. And many of the women who have participated in these groups are very bonded to one another, and are just so grateful to have that support through their cancer treatment journey.
0: I think that really strikes me and resonates for like so many reasons, because I think regardless of what you are managing, whatever condition, often you don't get the best advice or the most in-depth advice, or again, you're not necessarily getting all of your questions answered by your healthcare team. It's the other people that are going through that same experience the sort of expert patients that have been managing this in real life for longer than you, and then those that are sort of new to the experience where you can offer insights. I think that there's just something so profound in that. And I agree with you, we as a medical community have to learn from that. And if we can't necessarily answer these questions, I think it's amazing that you're creating a space where people can come together for the evidence-based information and then continue to kind of stick together throughout, even after your program's over.
1: Yeah, I love this, the connections that I've seen form between participants in our program. Just to give you a quick anecdote, in one of our recent programs, a lovely young woman in her 40s, mother of two young children, was matched up with a woman in her 70s. They were accountability buddies. That's something we started in this program to help our participants focus on exercise goals. And those two are now so close. They meet each other for lunch all the time. They text each other to meet at the YMCA to go to exercise classes. And they said they never would have been friends otherwise, but the program brought them together. And now they really rely on each other to help them get to the gym and other important goals they're setting for themselves in terms of their health. And so it's been really lovely to witness that.
0: That's amazing. And so are you still the medical provider playing a role in that? accountability relationship or after the 12 weeks, do they sort of move on and progress to this more informal accountability buddy system?
1: Right. So the accountability buddies, we start within that 12 week program, but these individuals choosing to stay connected and stay as buddies and continue to meet and encourage each other. Honestly, that's all happened organically through the participants who have done these groups. I get to witness that when I see them in follow up. In fact, I saw a patient yesterday who lives up in Maine. You know, I'm here in the Boston area and she's like, "Yep, I still meet with my group twice a month on Zoom and we get together sometimes. And it just warms my heart to hear those stories because it's just wonderful. And really, I can see myself maybe as the catalyst who helped make it happen, but I'm really not part of it anymore.
0: Well, what were some of your key takeaways that were maybe misconceptions that you had beforehand that you learned from creating this program?
1: Right. Well, I will acknowledge the first time I did it. Again, this was a group program. And as a physician, I had never run a group before. Okay. And I remember I was very nervous about it. And actually, our colleague, Dr. Beth Brady, who was meeting with me, I felt like she was kind of like a Nike ad. She's like, Amy, just do it. You're ready. And because I'm kind of the kind of person who would keep researching it and she's like, just do it. And I will say that once I actually started the group and thankfully I had a social worker colleague join me for support and one of my nurse practitioners joined me. And it was just such a wonderful experience. I absolutely loved it. So I learned that yes, we doctors are capable of leading a group visit and having a lot of fun with it. And I loved as always learning from my patients and I loved witnessing how the individual supported each other and learned from each other as well. And that's just been so remarkable to witness.
0: So for anyone that's listening today, what do you think are the one or two things, whether they are a cancer survivor or providing care, love, support to a cancer survivor, what are one or two
1: things that they can do today? Right. I'm going to focus on your second question first about how to maybe support a loved one or an individual going through cancer. And, you know, I think I told you earlier, I'm a runner and one of my favorite runners, Des Linden, has this quote, keep showing up. That was her approach to races. And I also think about that when I'm counseling patients and their families and their loved ones, just showing up, showing that social support, that connection means more than anything. Maybe it means bringing a meal or helping set up a play date or you know, walking someone's dog for them, but just showing up for another person. I feel like that's the most important thing we can do for a friend, family member, loved one who's going through a hard time. And to colleagues who are like debating, do I want to get into lifestyle medicine? Do I want to do a group visit? Am I trained to do that? I think if it's something you're contemplating, I would say just do it or reach out to one of us for advice. And I'm always happy to talk to people about how to get started because it is such a rewarding aspect now of my job. And I am just so grateful that I jumped into this. And I can't imagine not doing it at this point.
0: That really strikes a chord with me. Number one is just showing up with specificity. So I think I struggle with the, well, what should I do? And what do they need me to do? And, what, and I feel bad. And is there something specific you can do and just show up with that level of specificity? And if they don't need that help, okay, maybe you try something else. But I think that is gonna be a key takeaway for me. And then I think what you said, which is just do, oh my gosh, am I also repeating that slogan, just do it? It's not about perfection. It's really just, if you can get something going, you will iterate and you'll perfect and it'll get better with time. And if you don't start it, you're never gonna have the opportunity to make it better. So that really is helpful advice to me. I'm trying to live by it myself. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. We've talked with Dr. Amy Commander about cancer survivorship, lifestyle medicine, and definitely core things that I'm going to take away with from our talk. So thank you again for being with us. Thank you. To find out more information about Dr. Amy Comander and her program Paving the Path to Wellness, you can look her up on the Mass General website. You can also find her on social media on Twitter, Instagram, at Dr. Amy Commander. And that's Commander with 1M, C-O-M-A-N-D-E-R. Thank you so much for listening. Please take a moment to follow, rate, and review this podcast on your favorite listening platform. If you'd like to send me an email about topics you're interested in or questions for future guests, please send me a note at WebMD at WebMD.net. This is Dr. Neha Patak for the WebMD Health Discovered Podcast.